Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, debate gone wrong. I was subjected to anger and outrage and hate. An Ontario senator says she feared for her safety after a conservative tweet singled her out, receiving threatening phone calls and forcing her to leave her home. Coming up, we will speak with Ontario Senator Bernadette Clement. And... If someone has been threatened, then they should be... then the, 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 whoever uttered that threat should be held accountable. What does this episode say about respect among our political leaders and representatives? Should there be new rules of engagement with specific penalties? We will convene our political panel. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Sarabio. Political tactics are under the microscope tonight after an Ontario senator says she was targeted for adjourning a debate on carbon pricing. The criticism, she says, started in the upper chamber, but then got more disturbing after she became a subject in a social media post from Conservative House Leader Andrew Scheer. Senator Bernadette Clement says this image led to a slew of disturbing phone calls and one call from an angry man who said he was coming to her private home. Police are now investigating, and this is what we heard from the Conservative leader today. Our call is for people to let these senators know that there should be no more carbon tax on our farmers because we already can't afford the price of food. We encourage people to make those calls in a respectful, intelligent way. If someone has been threatened, then they should be, then the, 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 whoever uttered that threat should be held accountable. I receive threats all the time, uh, as do uh, members of my caucus. It's terrible when, when it happens. Uh, that does not change the fact that taxing our farmers makes food more expensive for everyone. Well, joining us now is Ontario Senator Bernadette Clement. She sits with the Independent Senators Group. Senator Clement, really appreciate the time tonight. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Listen, I want to begin uh, with your allegations, uh, your stories of bullying and intimidation following uh, involving fellow senators, including the opposition leader, Don Plett. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happened here? So we were in the context of a um, legislation um, and I adjourned the debate. And this is part of a, a routine process. I'm the deputy facilitator of the independent senators group. And it's my job to uh, make sure that the senators in my group have an opportunity to speak. And I had a few senators who were not in chamber that day and wanted to speak to the amendment that had just been proposed. And so I adjourned. Um, the adjournment caused a significant reaction. I understand that um, this bill has, could potentially have an impact uh, for people, for farmers, for families. I understand that there, you know, is, that there was disappointment that, that the debate couldn't take place in the moment. But the point of the adjournment was to make sure that the debate could continue with a participation from all senators who wanted to speak. The reaction um, was swift. People uh, were angry. And um, 
myself and Sinatrice Saint-Germain, the, the facilitator uh, of the ISG, the Independent Senators Group, um, were spoken to in a way that in our workplace, in our seats as senators, in a way which, in which we should not have been spoken to. Mm-hmm. My main concern, though, is what happened after that. The, yeah. the, the fact that that kind of heated discussion can lead to online posts and can lead to a, a lot of hate, anger, and then ultimately a threat. Well, let me jump in there because, you know, out of that adjournment came a social media post from the Conservative House leader, uh, which you say did lead to this abuse and at least one threatening phone call. Describe for us, if you will, what you and your staff were subjected to following that adjournment, following that social media post. So after that adjournment, it was a non-sitting week. Um, I went back to my home in Cornwall and did other work. Uh, Many of us have things that we do and work even during non-sitting weeks. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to speak. Um, It was heated, it was not appropriate, but I have work to do and I wanted to get back to work. But that post, when that post came out the following week, we had to take a lot of phone calls and that's just part of our job, right? Um, the staff in my office answer the phone. We we want to have conversations. We were taking calls from people who were angry and not understanding about the adjournment. And that's when the threat came. And so I don't want uh, staff to have to deal with that. I don't want to sit in my home in Cornwall where I have always felt safe and feel like I had to worry about whether someone would come to my house, um, worry about having to tell my family that I was going to leave my house in Cornwall so as to ensure my safety, have difficult conversations. That's not what I expected when when I got to the Senate and, and just simply am there to do my work. Mm-hmm. Now- and when... Yes. So I was going to say, and when you look at that poster as well, we've heard time and again how difficult it is for women in politics. That's one layer. And then another layer, you being a racialized Canadian, did that add a layer of concern for you? It's always something that I think about. You know, I live in the skin that I'm in. Um, I've been a public person and a politician for a long time. And that's been good. It's been really, really good. But I am always concerned about how things will go. You know, when I was mayor of Cornwall and and there was the renewal of Black Lives Matter after the death of George Floyd, I worried about that. I worried about how I would express myself as a Black woman, as a Black woman mayor. And and I managed it. And our, our community in Cornwall was great. And we got through that. This, um, having my picture, it was my office number, a picture of Senatrice Petitclerc, a cherished colleague, both of our faces. I did wonder what it would do. Um, And then the next day when the threat came in, I made a decision not to be silent after that. I posted on social media to explain my job, to explain about the adjournment, to, to provide my perspective. 
And that's when the response, you know, included a lot of racism and, and misogyny. Mm -hmm. Now, parliamentary security and police are now involved in what has happened here. What do you hope happens out of this whole episode? I, I want to say that Cornwall Police was fantastic. Um, parliamentary Protective Service here, Security Director, everyone was so good. And so I was really reassured by how seriously we followed protocol around this. And I appreciate that. I think the conversation that we had this week in chamber, uh, in the Senate chamber, was good. It came from senators standing up from every corner of that chamber to say, we need to speak to each other respectfully. And we need to think about how we behave online and when we're talking to constituents and when we're talking to the Canadian population, we need to think about how we're posting things and, and the consequences that that can have. I don't, I, I don't say at all that my colleagues intended for any of this to happen. That's not what I'm saying. I just want us to have a conversation about respectfully speaking to each other and also thinking about the consequences of posts uh, online when we're in a heated discussion. We have to be careful around anger and stoking anger. So you don't necessarily believe that, uh, that for example, the social media post from Andrew Shear meant to lead to any of this. Are you looking for an apology, though? Do you need an apology? I needed not to be silent. I mentor young women who want to run for office, who want to take up public space. I mentor uh, young people from diverse backgrounds. And if me here as a senator, in my seat as a senator, if I can't stand up and say, hey, we need to talk about this, we need to do it respectfully, we need to talk to each other respectfully, we need to be online respectfully, if I can't do that from my seat, then who's going to be able to do that? So that's why I stood up in chamber. So as not to be silent as, and so as to continue to authentically mentor people, to tell people it's hard, but it's worth it. And we can't be silent when we're not treated the way that we, that we should be. Senator Bernadette Clement, thank you very much for the time this evening. Thank you. Well, for more, let's bring in our political panel now. Susan Smith is principal with the Blue Sky Strategy Group, Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies, and Anne McGrath, national director for the NDP. Hello to the three of you. Hello. Hi. So listen, I want to begin with, with what we just heard from, from the senator, because here we have this incident. Did Andrew Scheer cross the line? Do we need to be talking about new rules of engagement and, and maybe perhaps even codified penalties here? I think it's something that needs to be looked at. When a, when a member of parliament, or a member of the Senate, in this case Andrew Scheer, a member of parliament, posts a wanted picture that results in a, a senator and their staff being receiving threatening emails and having to leave their home for fear of safety and the police involvement, that's crossing a line. And I think in this, we're in a different era now with internet and volatility and still in the days of the angry post-convoy thing. And the Conservatives have a real ability to sort of gin up their base. So I think we need to look at what parliamentary behavior is and when you cross a line in terms of causing fear and hatred to be directed at people. Mm, Tim? Yeah, I can't defend the stupid, and that was pretty stupid <laughs> and, and dumb. Um, and, and it wasn't necessary. I mean, first of all, 
you, what, what are the, who are you trying to score political points with? Do you need to go for every political point under the sun? Uh, I, sometimes you just have to take a breath and think, and then realize also in this environment to something Susan just said, you know, th th there's a lot that's been written uh, all across every sector about bullying. Don't put yourself in a position where you can be accused of bullying or inciting um, uh, violent behavior. It just, and you're not helping your party. Like, you know, the, the fun and games, uh, this sort of stuff wasn't funny. It's a dangerous sort of game and you're not, it's gonna hurt you if you try and seek a higher office. Mm -hmm. And well, it's not an isolated incident. Uh, let's start there. I think, you know, Susan's right that we're in an, in an era where there is a lot of um, anger and rage and resentment and that kind of thing. Like we've seen the we've seen the photos. We saw what happened uh, in Hamilton with the uh, with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, in the summer. Uh, what happened uh, more recently uh, with him? We've seen the what happened with um, Shagmeet Singh in uh, in um, Kitchener. So there's a lot of examples right now that like there's there's a feeling in the air uh, that that I that I think uh, a responsible. Um, a responsible leader, which all MPs are, has to be aware of that and has to know that there are consequences to their actions. So I think it was, I think it crossed a line. I think it was, uh, he's either oblivious to the, cir to, the, to the circumstances that we're in, or it was deliberate. But there's a tone at the top issue, Michael, that you have to think about. Andrew Scheer used to be the leader of the Conservative Party. He is a senior lieutenant to Pierre Polyev, who is the leader of the party. And somehow he thought that this was acceptable. And somehow within the bounds of what's okay within Pierre Polyev's leadership circle, that kind of behavior doesn't cause Andrew Scheer to think twice. So there's a whole thing about tone at the top and maybe Mr. Polyev needs to take a good hard look at the tone he's portraying, how he plays fast and loose with the truth, the negativity he's putting forth and looking at how it's trickling down and actually impacting people. Oh, there was also Lord. another senator that was that was senator like one-on-one -on -one and, and some desk well, counting and, you know, too. It's interestingly, the, the, the wanted had to do with, with two women senators yeah. in particular, one racialized, one differently abled as well. So so you're gonna say yeah, to no, no, I was just going to say before too much of the blame gets spread around, I think everybody, yes, does have to hold themselves accountable. But, you know, sadly, Mr. Shear has um, a habit of doing things that aren't the wisest. How's that for me being polite? <laughs> and, and he's got to watch that because that sort of stuff also makes his own party members upset. Not only is it wrong, but there's political consequences to this because when and you saw what happened when he was leader of the party and he made some some mistakes, some significant mistakes or dumb choices in this case. So he ought to watch it for his own purposes and his own political aspirations. Again, never mind that it is entirely wrong and never should have happened. Yeah, I think Timmy raised a really good point there because I think that there are conservatives who will not be comfortable mm -hmm. with this. And, and, you know, I mean, we've seen it. I don't know how many you know, sort of progressive conservatives are left in the Conservative Party of Canada right now. <laughs> but, but, you know, like that is not behavior that is, uh, uh, that has been in the past normal for uh, the Conservative Party. And, and at the very least, I think that, uh, you know, that there's a sort of a frat boy element to all of this, a kind of a, you know, the, anything for the sake of a good joke uh, and to have your kind of chums uh, yucking it up with you. And, and, and I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, there are consequences, especially uh, in the modern era, there are consequences 
consequences to this kind of thing. And, and I, I think he didn't look one bit chagrined. Okay, uh, you mentioned leadership. I want to move on to another topic here, and this has to do with something that we heard from both Pierre Polyev yesterday regarding the, the Rainbow Bridge crossing, the border crossing at Niagara Falls, Ontario, as well as some reaction from Karina Gould, the Liberal House leader. Let's take a listen. Mr. Speaker, we've just heard media reports of a terrorist attack, an explosion at the Niagara crossing of the Canada-U.S. border. Uh, two people, at least two people are dead, one is injured. It is the principal responsibility of government to protect the people. Can the Prime Minister give us an update on what he knows? Instead of taking a step back and asking what is going on, demonstrating calm and leadership and reassurance to Canadians, he immediately jumped to the conclusion that this was a terrorist attack without any knowledge or information that this was the case. That is not what leadership is. Okay, now the, the Karina Gould, the, the Liberal House leader, went on to say that Canadians should consider seriously what they're getting in Pierre Polyev. Does this look bad on the Conservative leader? Was it his best moment? Um, and you should, look, uh, hopefully he views it as a lesson. You should, particularly in circumstances like that, and we've all seen it and you've covered it, Michael, when something happens and people are uncertain about what is actually happening, better to let information come out before you jump to a conclusion because that can have negative consequences uh, as it, it could in this circumstance for Pierre Polyev. Though look, you know, Kriana Gould probably not helping her case also by making it overtly political because you could make an argument as others have. The Prime Minister all not that long ago leaped out at India about accusations that he had made without, no, there wasn't a ton of proof and we've yet, well, let me finish please. We haven't, because you're polite. Uh, <laughs> and there hasn't been a ream of proof around all of that. So whether you're the Prime Minister or Pierre Polyev, you need to look before you leap. Okay. Susan. So on the India thing, Tim, it's been clear that there was reports that the or, or briefings that the Prime Minister received that were top secret that he couldn't bring forth, but he was able to make the statement he could. So I don't think there was a leap there from the Prime Minister. With regards to Mr. Polyev, um, he, he demonstrated yesterday that he takes his lead from Fox News, and that's a dangerous thing if you want to lead the country. And he does need to take a deep breath and stop trying to politicize absolutely everything. We saw him do it yesterday with the, the situation on the bridge uh, at Niagara. We saw him do it as well, voting down the Canada-U.S. Uh, or Canada-Ukraine trade agreement, because he wanted to politicize that too. And he's been called out by the media saying what he's uh, saying is in the agreement about uh, a price on carbon is blatantly untrue. And so this is what he's, this is Polyev's modus operandi. He seizes, he's seeking, seizing, and trying to sniff out a political angle. And if he's not careful, it's going to bite him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's very eager in situations like this, and I think that he does need to tone down because you do end up overstepping. And I think it is true that one of the things I've always appreciated about Canadian media is that they're very careful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all, the Canadian media in general is very careful in a situation like that to make sure that 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 they're communicating and and acknowledging that sometimes there's misinformation and disinformation and all of those kinds of things. So I think that the 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 way that he said that could alarm people uh, unnecessarily and uh, and I think I think it's I think it's irresponsible I think he shouldn't he probably shouldn't have done that and what I found even kind of doubling down on that when he was asked about it he took the occasion to attack the reporter who asked the question yeah. mm -hmm. and he did try to, to push back on that a bit earlier today he, so he, all he needed was an apple yeah well <laughs>
I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but I, I do want it before we're done, because I'll, I'll, of course this, this week began with the, the, the fall economic statement. You labeled it the Fez last week, so <laughs> the fall economic statement. Uh, and yes, they, the, the government is moving on housing, but also pointed out was the fact that there is no path to get back to a balanced budget. Uh, is that going to be a political liability for the Liberals, Susan? It's a good talking point right now for the opposition. Um, I think by the time we get to an election, the financial situation of the country will be different. They've, they've got a path to a reduced deficit. I think more what will matter to Canadians is, are the people who are struggling with affordability issues around housing, is it better? Are the people who couldn't find a place to rent, is there more there for them? Have grocery bills gone down? Have we seen inflationary numbers gone down? So the narrative at the moment isn't awesome there, but I think what the government was focused on in terms of trying to help municipalities and provinces and people get houses built, try to deal with the competitiveness issue with the U.S. in terms of encouraging companies to invest in green technology and furthering their affordability issues for Canadians. There's, uh, you know, the ones in place like dental care and the child tax benefit and those kinds of, and, and child care. Those are all the things that people will be thinking about when the event election day eventually rolls around. We know there's a fixed election day in October 2025. We don't know when it will hit. But that's when I think people will really be looking at the economic snapshot. Okay. Tim, listen, I'm just thrilled with the grocery task force because I'm going to send my American cousins now some Canadian turkeys that are going to be cheaper, Michael, because of all of that. <laughs> Look, um, to your question to Susan, I, I think the public may not score the government entirely on fiscal prudence, but they will want to see have they gotten better at certain things. And they will use some of the metrics that Susan's talked about. Are things cheaper? Is my mortgage lower than it was in 2023? Um, but the, 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 there are still some things that they're doing there that are worthy of, of criticism. It was a more traditional fall economic statement in that it wasn't the big mini budget that we've gotten used to. I think for them, what they wanted to do was do no harm to themselves. Generally, they have the predictable criticism from the Conservatives and the NDP is there. Uh, but will this have material difference on the lives of Canadians? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, but does it go to perception, though? Because, uh, you know, the, whether or not they are responsible economic stewards, is there a way, for example, to, to have accomplished housing without going into such debt? I don't think that the primary preoccupation of most Canadians is the government's finances. I think it's their own finances. And their own finances are in deep trouble right yeah. now. I think that, 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 if anything, I think that there was too little in there. There was very thin gruel. There was some, ha uh, some spending on housing, which we had pushed very hard for. I'm disappointed that it doesn't come until 25, 26. Um, I think people need help right now. There are shovel-ready uh, housing projects ready to go right now in many places across the country. That money should be going out the door now because Canadians need help now, and, and I think that is much more of a concern for them than, than the, the bottom line in the fall economic statement. Okay, well, you know, that is uh, week one of Parliament's return. We have three more, what, three more sitting weeks before this is done, yeah, before the Christmas yeah. break, so we'll, <laughs> so we'll come back. But for now, Susan, Tim, and Anne, always good time. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks. Time now for a look at some other stories making headlines today. We begin in the Middle East, where a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas is set to begin Friday morning. This four-day pause was supposed to start earlier Thursday, but was delayed. 
Qatar, which brokered talks between the two sides, says the ceasefire will start at 7 a.m. local time to be followed by the release of some of the Israeli hostages. Here at home, more than half a million public servants in Quebec walked off the job today. Many of these striking workers are teachers and healthcare workers who are demanding the government improve their working conditions. The Quebec Premier, Francois Legault, says the province is willing to agree to salary increases, but only if the unions offer some concessions and are more, as he describes it, flexible. And an update now on the border crossing on the Rainbow Bridge in Niagara Falls, connecting Canada and the U.S. The busy border crossing is still closed after a vehicle exploded at the port of entry, killing two people and injuring a third on the U.S. side. The incident is still under investigation, but security officials say they are not considering it an act of terrorism. The FBI has turned over the scene to local police. There is no word on when the bridge will reopen. This weekend, we will air a special edition of Profile as we share the conversations we had at the Halifax International Security Forum. Among the people we spoke with was Andriy Shevchenko, a former Ukrainian ambassador to Canada. He now leads the World Ukrainian Congress, and I asked him how he felt about the support his country is getting nearly two years into this war, and whether he was worried about U.S. voices that are starting to question the money that's being spent. To some extent, and for two reasons. First, because we immediately feel when there are debates of this kind in Washington, D.C., that has an immediate effect on the very specific material things that we get or don't get from, uh, from the U.S. But moreover, it's about setting the tone for the whole international coalition. Uh, obviously, America is the most important ally that we have uh, uh, to win this war. America has introduced this very successful Rammstein format where we have 54 nations sitting around one table and working together to defeat Russia. So any change in the tone in Washington DC is something which is immediately felt across uh, this table. But overall, we have a lot of confidence in, in America. We have a lot of confidence in this international coalition. Why? Because I think by now we have come to very clear understanding it's not about Ukraine, it's about our future. It's about uh, sustainable peace that we can build together for the whole planet. And to do that, we need to make sure Russia is defeated in this war and we strip Russia off its offense capabilities uh, for a long time. And we have some good success there. You can see our full discussion with Andriy Shevchenko this weekend on CPAC, a special edition of Profile as we focus on the Halifax International Security Forum. It also features interviews with former Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko and the chair of the UK Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee, Alicia Kearns. And that is our program for this Thursday. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. Primetime Politics will be back tomorrow. But up next, Estebejan avec l'essentiel. Thank you.